the next thing is for 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 new parents you know if you've never had a a child before i would say do the best you can to educate yourself on what to expect it is true that that would never match the actual experience but take upon yourself seek out some trusted uh, people in your community people that you are close to and really just ask them to be honest with you just to give you some honest thoughts some honest feedback on what to expect welcome to the show I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Living African, and I am your host, Anya Fombat. So today, we will be having an impromptu episode, actually this is an impromptu recording, and I just felt strongly convicted for us to, us as in my husband and I, to have this conversation with our community because we've been having multiple conversations since we had the baby, and we actually just had so many questions and just so many wonders or we just wondered a lot why you know certain topics were not discussed you know or are not commonly discussed in our community especially when it has to do with the fourth trimester so today we will be talking about the fourth trimester which nobody really talks about commonly and we will just share our experiences with you guys and also to just make the aware of, you know, the realities of new parenting, especially this goes specifically to the new couples or the new parents-to-be, just sharing our experiences on what we have, you know, found so far or discovered so far about this period. And I have here with me my husband, Eugene, and the baby who is fast asleep. <laughs> so we will just have an impromptu conversation, no order, no pre-planned anything, and we hope that you guys enjoy this episode. So I want to welcome you, Eugene. How are you doing? Uh, thank you, babe. And uh, this is a pleasure to be here today. I know it's the first time that I am coming onto this platform. And I just want to celebrate you, first of all. I think you're doing an amazing job. <laughs> I think the community is benefiting from all the work you're doing and continues to benefit from that. So I'm excited to share my my thoughts and you know really just my feelings and an experience on on parenting. I know we've been parenting for, for like, like three weeks and a <laughs> half, so I know we're not that experienced, but I think you know it's a journey and 
every step of the of the way every day we learn and so i think this might probably be the first of many of such lessons and experiences so so thank you for for thinking about this and let's let's do it so um i mean i just wanted to piggyback a little bit off of the last episode which was basically about our pregnancy story we received a lot of feedback i had a lot of messages fortunately my husband is not that big on social media so <laughs> you know he's not like his correspondence on social media is very poor so I was the one getting a lot of the messages and um, some messages that were being relayed to him but we just want to thank you guys for all the kind words and we hope that our story actually encouraged and motivated those who were going through this a similar situation and you know I know we ended where you know I was basically about to have the baby that was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so now I just wanted to take us a little bit aback and share with you my labor and delivery experience. And then we could go from there because I feel like the rude awakening, for lack of a better word, started from that labor and delivery experience. Now this baby, she came <laughs> five days late and it was such a, an intense Three hours, basically. I know three hours for a labor is pretty short, but it was pretty intense because, I mean, as you guys may know, I had a difficult pregnancy just with the pain. And I feel like it's also because I really did not put on a lot of weight during my pregnancy, but then my belly was so big. I mean, I, I birthed a nine pound, one ounce baby. That's like 4.1 kilogram baby. <laughs> So just to give you perspective on how big my belly was. So that weight and everything really, you know, put a lot of pressure on my pelvis. And that gave me a lot of pelvic pain and groin pain. So that's basically what I suffered with primarily during my pregnancy, almost throughout my pregnancy. Now towards the end, obviously, as you would imagine, I was so over the pregnancy. I just wanted this baby out and she came five days late. I remember it was a Monday. And I actually had a doctor's appointment on that, that afternoon, right? We both went there to see the doctor and the OBGYN actually. And I was just like, I'm so over this. Like I want this baby out. And she was like, yeah, you just have to be patient. Now, mind you, I was already two to three centimeters dilated. Like I've been two to three centimeters dilated for like two to three weeks actually. And I mean, I was one to two centimeter dilated at around 36 weeks. And I was like two days short of 41 weeks at this time. So. I mean, I know everyone was like, oh, yeah, if you're dilated earlier, you have the baby earlier, you probably will not even make it to 40 weeks. The baby's going to come, blah, 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 blah. That's just, you know, all about the old wife's tales. But I just want to let you guys know that everybody's situation is different, whether it has to do with pregnancy or it has to do with childbirth or it has to do with even raising the children. Everybody's experience is different. Now, on that Monday, we saw her and she just told us to be patient and they had to actually schedule me for, well, they had planned to schedule me for an induction that's to induce a labor, but there was a long wait list, but she reassured me that by the time I hit 41 weeks, I should be good to go with an induction. So that night I came back, I actually came back to work, you know, I clocked out around 5 p.m. And then at about, is it like 7.30? And that's correct. Yeah. Yes. 7.30, you know, well, that evening, actually, I made dinner and then I went and took a shower. You know, by the time I left the shower around 7.30, it's like I started feeling, you know, they always call it the, the severe menstrual pain. But I kind of felt like, a, 
like a light menstrual, like belly ache or something like that. So I thought maybe, you know, maybe I must have eaten something and my belly was aching. And then like 30 seconds to a minute later, I felt a relatively stronger ache, you know. And so I was like, huh. So I told, I, I was, I remember I told you, I was like, you know, I, I think I'm getting into labor, you know. Yeah, that's that's right. And I'm sorry to, to interrupt for a second, but I just wanted to give some context to maybe the guys out there who are not parents yet. So she talked about two to three centimeters dilation. And so I think that is the the opening of the cervix in preparation yes. for the baby to be delivered. Yeah. And so from, from the birth classes, they will tell you that when the opening gets as big as 10 centimeters, that's when you're kind of ready to start pushing. So two to three centimeters just gives you some context as to how far out she yeah. was from, from actual delivery. Yeah, thanks for explaining that because sometimes it's easier or, yeah, it's very easy to assume that everyone knows, you know, what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I, you know, I got out the shower and I was actually coming down to eat because I really made some bomb food that night, actually. (laughs) So as I came down, as I was coming down the stairs, I actually just, oh, my God, like it was hard for me to come down, but I did. But I was just feeling weird, you know, but then, you know, by that time we had taken so many breath classes and they were like, we even had like a doula come to the house multiple times to, you know, give us individual private classes. And, you know, they always say when labor begins, you know, it spaces out within 10 minutes. So it, it the the contractions come in cycles of at intervals of 10 minutes, right? That's correct. So just to provide some context again to the guys out there, a doula is just kind of um, like a coach. So you have some like a midwife, like type, a, midwife yeah. a coach, a female coach uh, for the most part. So she would uh, kind of be with you throughout the whole process, just kind of prepare you in, in her own way and what to expect and what that process would look like, what labor would look like and kind of what to expect. So kind of guide you into thinking about your your delivery experience and and what to expect so that you can define and decide what your birth preferences would yeah so yeah and and you know she said not only she a lot of videos that we watched you know they said you know when it starts is at the space of 10 minutes usually and then um when it progresses when you have to call the doctor or the hospital is either when your water breaks or when you have, you know, you follow the five one one principle, which is, you know, you have labor contractions for a length of one minute, and you have that for one hour, and so basically you have it for one minute ever, and at an interval of five minutes apart for an entire hour. So it's a five one one principle, and then that's when you call the doctor. But now I started feeling like, you know, this pains just within a matter of seconds they were like increasing and they were coming within a matter of seconds so it was one of those things that I, w- I was confused because I'm like I thought labor had to start within 10 10 minutes you know <laughs> intervals before progressing to five so when I came down I you know because I made 
fried rice that night. You know, I came down, I was like, okay, well, I guess let me eat. I'd already mastered my breathing techniques and I already had my mind set in a specific space. So I was like, yeah, I'll just eat and weed it out. So I started eating, man. I remember I was just sitting on the couch and I found myself like kneeling on the floor. The pain was just unbearable. So I was like, let me go use the restroom because obviously I, I felt like peeing. And I even felt like pooing to an extent. And those are one of like the, the, you know, the signs of labor as well, like when you're in active labor. So I went to the restroom and, you know, I was just in excruciating pain. And then I, I called the, the, the doctor on call because, mind you, this was about 7.30 in the evening. So... It was almost, it was even almost towards eight o'clock. I called the doctor and I told him, you know, he asked a couple of questions, you know, is this my first baby? I was like, yeah, is this, how many centimeters was I dilated the last time that they checked? I told him and he said, what were the intervals of the contraction? I actually, I wasn't even the one talking. You came and you were helping me talk because I could not even speak. (laughs) Yeah. So the funny thing is, you know, you go through this experience and you, you take all these online courses, you talk to a lot of people, really you're in a state of information overload. So as, as, as Anya already mentioned, um, we have this principle 511. And so you're kind of waiting for like the contractions to be that much apart. So the moment she said she started feeling these contractions, I'm kind of like, well, that means that uh, we'll probably be going into the hospital the next day because a lot of people usually labor for multiple hours before they get to that point where they need to go into the hospital. So she says she has this pain and, you know, starts to have all this discomfort. I see her in pain, but I really don't know what to expect. And out of a sudden, I see her dialing a phone and I'm like, okay, this is way too soon. And this is not what I expected from all the information and all the education which which we had, right? So in other words, I think the lesson here is whatever you learn through that experience, really the, the actual experience is is going to be different. The outcome is going to be different from, from woman to woman. And so that was a, a realization for me at that point, at least. So yeah, she dialed, called the doctor. And at some point she couldn't speak. So she called me and screamed and say, come and talk to the doctor. And I came and the doctor was asking me all these questions. I was already getting into a state of confusion, but I managed to complete that discussion. And the doctor just said, hey, guys, you need to come in right away. Mind you, she said she was having contractions about two minutes apart. So they say textbook says when it's five minutes it wasn't even up to two minutes. It was well, like it was 30 seconds 30 to a seconds, minute. It was just right. back to so, back. So textbook says <laughs> five, five minutes. minutes apart, right? And now we're at one minute. So kind of feels like we needed to be at the hospital like five hours ago, right? So yeah. that all happened in a space of like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, we already had the bags ready. So, I mean, they were already in the car. So he took the keys and we were we headed to the hospital. Now, another important thing that we did, which really helped us, is that we, I mean, you actually had gone to the hospital prior, a few days prior, to look around and make sure that, you know, we're we're at the right location, the right entrance into the hospital. 
because usually when someone is an active laborer and they have to go to the hospital, it's everything is quick and there's so much adrenaline that you may be confused and then end up extending the process or making them miss, you know, like very vital um, steps to the delivery process. So, you know, we just got in and, oh my God, it was such, it was one of the longest rides ever. You know, I remember you had, I had asked you, I'm like, how far away is the hospital? I mean, I, I knew that the hospital was about 15 minutes away on a regular day. And, but for some reason you had said 13 minutes away and I was like, oh my God, why is it 30 minutes? And you were like, no, 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 it's 13, not 30. I was like, oh my goodness, thank God. You know, and then we went there and it was just one thing after the other. By the time we got to the, to the emergency, you know, I mean, they checked me and immediately after they checked me and they had to do an exam to see how dilated I was. And I was six to seven centimeters. Now, active labor usually starts from four centimeters. Like if you're four centimeters and above, I believe they tell you to go to the hospital or they keep you in the hospital. But I was already six to seven centimeters. This was literally like almost three centimeters shy of 10 where I had to start pushing. So everything had to be done really fast because I was literally about to miss the window for epidural. And that's really what I wanted because I wasn't going to push out an uh, over nine pound baby without any pain medication, you know? And that also brings me to one thing because before I got the, the baby and when I was getting ready, I had so, I heard so many opinions. People like, oh yeah, you know, don't do vaginal, do C-section or don't do C-section, do vaginal. You don't have to do, what do you call it? Epidural. You can do it naturally. You're a strong woman. And, you know, I just want to let, especially the women know that always fend for yourself at the end of the day. What can you take? Can you take a natural delivery without any pain medications, a pain medication-free delivery? If you can't, then go for it, but don't do it because people are influencing you on what to do. Because at the end of the day, you got to look out for yourself. You got to look out for your own comfort and that of the baby, you know? So I wasn't trying to be anybody's hero. It doesn't make you a stronger woman, regardless of the method of delivery that you choose. So go for what is best for you, right? So I personally went for a vaginal delivery because I could, and I also had an epidural. Trust me, that was the first thing I asked when I got to the ER. I was like, when am I getting that epidural? <laughs> so I got the epidural and, you know, the, it was just a waiting game at that point, you know, but I knew it wasn't going to take long because I was already almost there. So for some weird reason, the baby's heart beat could only be recorded if I was laying in a very weird position. And I honestly, <laughs> looking back, I'm not surprised because this baby had always been in a weird position in my womb. And even when she sleeps, she sleeps in a very weird position. So I had to lay down in that weird position and it was not comfortable at all. I mean, mind you, I was still like heavily pregnant, even though I couldn't feel anything from my waist down because of the epidural, but I had severe discomfort. I could not even breathe well because I was in that weird position. But then again, if I had to be comfortable that was going to compromise the recording of the baby's heartbeat and they would not have been able to know if the baby was distressed or anything of that sort. So I told him I was going to lay in that weird position for a minute, but every now and then I would have to maybe just lay down on my back to 
you know, just to relax a bit before going back to that position. So the first time they were trying to support me to lay down on my back, they helped me with one of my legs to put my legs to the right because I was leaning towards the left. So as they did that, and they helped me with that because with the epidural, you can't feel anything from your waist down. So you can't even feel your legs to move it. Like your nerves are all dead. So as they helped me to move one leg to the right, so it opened my legs. And once it opened my legs, the nurse actually could see the baby's head already coming out. <laughs> That's how fast and quick it was. And my bag was out. My water did not break yet, but the bag was already out. So from there, things just went really fast, really, really fast. And, you know, the OBGYN came in and actually these two men, they came in and they had the baby. It was such a successful process, very easy going. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even up to three minutes and I had the baby. I didn't even push up to five times I because I, we had a video. I went back and I looked and I'm like, we, I didn't even push up to five times and yeah. and and the baby was out. You know, at some point they were telling me to even relax and I kept pushing because I thought they told me to push, you know. So it was such a very, very pleasant experience, pain-free, which is what I really wanted, you know, and... Another thing I wanted to point out, right, is that, you know, before I was very weirded out with men being my OBGYN, I specifically made sure it was a woman. But the experience I had with the man who birthed this baby, he was extremely pleasant and he was very, very, like, just sweet and nice and personable. And it made me wonder, like, why did I not, you know, like, it actually gave me a different impression about men being an OBGYN. And I really want, to encourage everyone out there who's looking for an OBGYN that do not limit your options only to women because you will be surprised that the men actually are also as good. If not, some of the men are even better than, you know, some of the other females that you will meet. So that should also be an option. Honestly, it changed my perspective, basically. So, well, since little mama was big, I had a couple of stitches. <laughs> I had an episiotomy too. And, you know, episiotomy is just when they cut you, the perineal area, that's the area between your vagina and your, and your anus to increase the, you know, the, the, the passage of the baby, you know, to improve that. So I had to be stitched back up because she was a big baby. And it was, it was a very successful procedure. But then I feel like that's where <laughs> reality hit. That's where our lives took totally different turn. And I feel like that's actually the purpose of this um, episode because there's so many things that we experienced from that moment that I would have loved if someone, I mean, we're probably one of the last people amongst our circles to even have a baby. And I mean, our peers, are, you know, have kids that are even over 10 years old and you know, I, I keep making fun with them whenever I see them. I'm like, why did you guys not tell us? Why did you guys not tell us, the, you know, what to expect and stuff like that? But then, I mean, one of, you know, our sisters said, you know, even if we told you, you're not going to understand until you experience it. But I mean, I get what she meant, but I would have still loved someone to really tell me that, hey, this is what you're going to expect. This is the reality of it. So since it's not something's really being talked about, in our community, we took it upon ourselves to actually tell you guys the truth. And that is strictly based on our experience. 
so far. Like I said, or like my husband said, we're three weeks old as parents. So we don't really know much. We're looking forward to learning much. And we definitely will be sharing our experience as we go. But I felt very convicted for us to share this. So let's just, I mean, again, this is definitely impromptu. So there's no order in this. But from that first night, personally, I would like to share my experience and then you can add anything on your own experience if you know, if you have anything to say. Sure. So on that first night, actually, when I held the baby, by the way, (laughs) when they gave me the baby, it's like I was confused. I was like, what do I do with her? I don't know what to do with her, you know? And uh, well, now I have everything to do with her. (laughs) So it was kind of funny. But that night, you know, you know. Anyways, I had her, by the way, I had her at 10.32 p.m. So I started labor at 7.30. So this was three hours later and I had her. So we went to the room and, you know, of course, in the hospital, I always say the hospital is the, the worst place to be because you get interrupted and woken up like every hour or every other hour. It's like one person coming to do this and do that and do this. So it's like you barely get any kind of sleep, you know, so... I mean, it was such a busy night. We barely got sleep. And then the next day, one person coming to do this. I mean, it was just one thing after the other, you know. And then it's like you're back in pain. You know, the epidural is over. You're back in pain. And you have to be taking pain meds momentarily. And then, I mean, you're interrupted. You're bleeding. You know, you're still, I mean, everything. You're very, very tired because you didn't sleep all night. The baby is crying. I mean... Everything that could happen could happen, right? So I remember that night, the first night, it was just very busy and sleepless night. <laughs> that was the start, obviously. And then the second day, I'll just go straight to the night of the second, because we, I mean, they wanted to get us out. They said we had to stay at least 24 hours in the hospital, but 24 hours the next day would have been really late at 10.30. So they didn't want to send us back home. And then we had to spend a second night there at the hospital. So that second night, that that's what really started the test. That's, I I feel like that's when it really hit me (laughs) because by that time, this was like night two without sleeping. Right. And I was exhausted, like to the point that I started hearing voices in my head. I thought like I was going crazy, you know? So I remember one thing I vividly remember was that the nurse came to my room and she was like, you know, we have a nursery and we take care of our babies really well. You know, maybe we can take this baby to the nursery and give you guys some time to to sleep just a couple of hours of sleep and I was like yeah thank you for asking you know but I feel bad I feel like I'm just letting like ignoring my baby letting go of her you know we're gonna be with her in here she's like okay that's fine you know to an extent I was thinking I'm like why would she even ask us to send our baby away like we just had this baby (laughs) you know and I mean and by the way there was no need to even worry about the baby being stolen as we have seen and read in books and movies because they have like a a monitor. They always put a monitor on the legs of every baby. Like if you had to carry the baby out of the hospital without taking out that monitor, it was going to beep just like how it is in stores. You know, when you go to a store, an apparel store or something like that, and then they have those monitors, like those devices on the outfits or whatever, the, the items that they have. So that wasn't even our worry. Our main worry was just the guilt that we had to stay with because we sent her away, you know. I remember around 2 a.m. in the morning and that second night is when the babies actually cluster feed. You know, like cluster feeding is just when they realize that they're out of the womb and, you know, they now start, you know, in the womb, they just have consistent supply of food, right? But when they're out, (laughs) 
They have to fend for themselves. They have to cry. They have to wait every two to three hours to eat and stuff like that. So when they start cluster feeding on night, day two, it's like they're just crying all night and they're eating continuously for a couple of hours. So man, that stressed us out. Like we were so exhausted. Like I remember at 2 a.m. in the morning, I called the nurse. We were like, just take this baby out of here. Like we're going crazy. And she just, you know, she giggled because she, she, she could see it coming. So she took the baby to the nursery. She gave us about three to four hours of sleep. We were very, very grateful. I mean, it really refreshed us, honestly, you know, and brought the baby back and stuff. So that that's the night of day two. So Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because when she brought the baby back after three hours, she said, is it fine or should I keep the baby for another hour? And we unanimously just said, Keep the baby baby. for another hour. So that was, that was funny. Yeah. Like we, we were like, nope, we don't want this baby just yet. You can keep her (laughs) and we just want to sleep, you know? So again, you know, I, I hope that from our experiences, you guys can know what, you know, is possible. And also we're trying to normalize certain things that otherwise we take as a taboo. Like I'm sure if my African mother knows that, you know, we sent the baby to the nursery, a way she probably will freak out like oh my god why did you do that or every, any typical african mother because they would you know not want you to take it i mean i know i told one of my sisters and she's like what if they stole the baby blah 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 i was like no don't worry about that safety measures in place definitely you know so yeah it, it was it was definitely uh it it really was it, it was something, honestly, it was something for sure. And I now another struggle that I had was that my milk wasn't flowing when I had the baby. So uh, we will get to that later. But she started eating formula in the hospital. So I don't know if you want to, before we get into that, I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, so, so for the guys, again, formula is just bottled milk, which comes pre-prepared for, for newborns. And so, yeah, before I think Anya talked a lot about what she experienced and I share most of that as well. And so before everything, we were super grateful that the delivery experience was as quickly as it went as quickly as it did, because we know that that is not representative of many experiences for different women and for different couples. But we're thankful for that experience. And as she rightfully said, from from the time the baby was born until the second night, the best word I can use to describe that was a roller coaster. So yeah. there was a lot of things happening that uh, you probably, it was really going very fast, right? A lot of baby tests, a lot of checkups on the mom. And so you couldn't even sleep, as she said, because of the interruption so by that time we're like walking zombies really just surviving and mind you this is just kind of like from light to darkness it's you just wake up and everything suddenly changes so that was it was pretty intense and at that point it was starting to dawn on us that you know things are about to change and you know change really hard right but at that point we're still in the hospital and again we were taking advantage or, or yeah taking advantage of the fact that there were nurses there just mm-hmm. to 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 make that whole experience a lot easier yeah and the nurses man you got to give it to them Woo. 
The nurses came through for sure. They really did come through. So we just want to thank all our nurses. Like they work and go above and beyond, you know, to make sure that the patients are good, you know, especially in labor and delivery. So we thank the nurses. Now, like I said, my milk was not flowing. And this is another very controversial topic amongst, especially amongst our African community, because Again, just as the C-section versus vaginal delivery uh, saga, they make it seem like, you know, giving your child formula versus breast milk means that the child is not being nourished as well with formula or the child basically is not getting what the child is supposed to get. Now, I just want to tell everyone out there, and this is also information I learned and also advice I got, medical advice. Whether you give your child formula or breast milk, the child is still getting the, the ingredients that or the the nutrients that the child needs whether it be formula or breast milk now with breast milk of course you're passing on antibodies from you to the baby but i don't want any mother out there to really stress because you know they cannot provide the breast milk for the baby and that's what happened to me i was very very stressed out and i almost fell out with some family members because of that because my breast milk wasn't flowing and when the baby had the formula in the hospital, actually, she got used to the bottle. And so even when I tried to give her the colostrum, she wouldn't take it from my breast because she just did not want to latch on my breast. But she latched on day one when I just had her, but nothing came out, obviously. So since it was easier for her to take milk from the bottle, she just got used to the bottle. And that was pretty frustrating I mean, we kept giving her the bottle. I tried to pump and you know, I pumped out a little bit of colostrum and gave her, but it was still very, very much frustrating that she would not latch, you know, and, you know, with the external pressure and everybody's opinion, you know, like one thing we were talking, I remember was like, once you have a baby, everybody has an opinion, man. Like it's unbelievable. Right. And just to provide some context again, for those out there who are not familiar with some of this terminology. Latching is the process where a baby creates a vacuum around a nipple with her mouth so that she could uh, easily breastfeed. And colostrum is the first secretion from from the breast, which which has a slightly different consistency and texture than actual breast milk. So that yeah. usually is what is is released first and after and some time it has a lot of nutrients it's rich in nutrients and it's always encouraged or the doctors or at the hospital always they're always encouraged that the baby should be uh given that colostrum or, or that secretion and after that then you have regular flow yeah so i mean i remember it was pretty frustrating that we even had to eventually bring uh like a, a lactation consultant home. And then, of course, she did some exercises and trained the baby to now be latching. So now when I started breastfeeding, my, my milk started coming out slowly and I had to all, um, supplement her with sometimes with the formula because she wasn't full. She Since she was a big baby, she definitely had a large appetite. So we had to find a way to accommodate that large appetite. But now that was one of the issues that were resolved. And I'm definitely happy because I can breastfeed her right now. But I mean, when we came back, when we were discharged from the hospital, oh my God, that's when that roller coaster began, like in real life, you know, like <laughs> there was no nurse to come save us. And mind you, just to give you perspective, it was just my husband and I at home. We did not have any help from any family member 
or anybody. Number one, that's because our family members are not really close by. Even the ones that are close by, I mean, when we just came home, obviously, you know, we the family members that are close by and stuff like that, they were going to come. I mean, some of them could not make it because of, you know, one thing or the other, which is very, very understandable. And they had circumstances that, you know, you know, were beyond control per se, but not that we were requesting any help from them. It's just more like we're trying to share our experiences that we had without help, just to give you guys perspective on how challenging and difficult it was, you know? (laughs) Oh my God. Like when I think about those first days when we got back home, it's just like I have chills <laughs> and I, I don't, I just giggle and laugh because I don't know how we managed. Like I remember on that night, the third night when we came back home, like we just did not even know what to do. And then I think we even spent like one week downstairs <laughs> on the couch just, you know, cause I couldn't even sleep if I wanted to, cause when the baby makes a little bit of a noise, it's like, I'm waking up, you know, we tried to take turns carrying the baby, but I just could not sleep. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. And then, of course, with the lack of sleep and stuff, you know, that's when I really got to appreciate sleep, you know, for the most part, because I didn't know how sleep could literally affect the brain. Like I was going delusional. When I say delusional, I was going delusional. Like I was just, I wasn't even reasoning right. I wasn't thinking right. Like I just didn't even know who I was. Like I I was just, I, I literally questioned my life that night. You know, and the coming night, you know, I, you know, when they discharged us, they gave me a whole sheet about postpartum depression and all the things that could potentially happen. And I was like, why are people making this postpartum depression thing a big deal? Until I came on night one and I'm like, okay, I don't know how I'm feeling, but I'm feeling a bit down and frustrated. And I feel like, I remember those first days I told you, I was like, I feel trapped. Like, I feel like I was trapped in a dark hole and I couldn't go out. Like, I feel like I didn't even own my life anymore. It's like this little human, this little cute human just came and took over. You know, it's like you can't sleep when you want to sleep. She's crying. You have to attend to her. When you want to eat, she's crying. You have to attend to her. When you want to shower, she's crying. You have to attend to her. Like, I was literally forgetting to eat. And you were always reminding me, like, you know, have you eaten? Have you showered? Have you drank water? Have you taken your meds? I was just a huge mess. Like, I just, I honestly was miserable. Like, I would cry multiple times a day. And obviously, uh, those are all signs of postpartum depression, by the way. Like, you know, or maybe baby blues. I would say the baby blues, not necessarily postpartum depression. But, man, I had severe baby blues. And, oh, my God, like. It was just so stressful. I mean, we had people come and give us food, which was good. And then at that time, our even our close family members, you know, they really wanted to come. But like I said, the circumstances, which I really don't think we should disclose for their privacy, you know, happened. And they could not make it for one reason or the other, which I was very sorry about. And they too were sorry about. But oh my goodness, it was such a stressful time in our lives. You know, so um, I don't know what you want to add to that. Yeah, I remember when we got home and the baby was sleeping. We just didn't know what to do. So we started off by being on shifts. And so when the baby was sleeping, 
one person could sleep, but the other person had to literally watch the baby, right? Yeah. So, so it's kind of like you're, you're not sure what to expect. You have all these anxiety. A lot is changing really fast. And, and keep in mind, uh, normally when change happens in life, that comes with a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stress happening, and we don't even understand that change is happening really fast. So we kept watching the baby and uh, through that not even sleeping properly. And so we we really were super sleep deprived. And, and another thing for me personally was, again, as Anya mentioned, it was just two of us. So every errand you could think of, I, I had to take care of every errand, you know, yeah. so go get me this, please. Can you get me this? So it was pretty much a lot of ups and downs left and right going out getting this and all of that you could kind of just say you know just being the errand person right and so for for the guys out there i really just say there is one thing you can do just make yourself available you know because for me i didn't know what to expect but i just knew i I wanted to create space to to be available and and just be there as needed right so i made sure that my schedule at work was cleared off and I, I really had nothing to do, but really just was there and ready to serve and ready to do anything I can do to help, you know, Anya during the season and through the process. But again, as she mentioned, uh, we really got to appreciate the value of sleep. It's interesting because, you know, when you're in certain situations, then your prayers change because mm-hmm. I remember prayers those days where you say, Lord, please help me to have an hour or two hours of sleep. It's amazing the things you would pray for when the circumstances are right. So it was it was pretty intense. I think yeah. that, that was that's really just a good way to summarize it. It was pretty intense, very unexpected. And um two people with no prior experience and you know, as Anya mentioned, family couldn't be there, so no one really by your side at that point in time just to tell you it's gonna be okay right so it was it was tough it was hard I think hard is to be very honest it was hard and it was actually very very challenging in every aspect physically emotionally oh my goodness psychologically like we were drained I mean the lack of sleep I could not I can't even explain it. I can't explain. I mean, I feel like it's still intense now. It's just that we're found, like we're getting used to it. We're finding ways to, you know, adjust to it. But it's not being a cup of tea or bed of roses. Like, I mean, I, I, I remember I was like, you know, I'm still waiting for that joy of motherhood. That's what I kept saying. I'm like, I'm miserable. Like, this is harder than the worst job I've ever had. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive to this baby or anything you know but it's just the truth like it's tougher it, i i i felt like it was i mean it's 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 a labor of love right but then the labor is intense like i don't think Absolutely. i had been through that amount of tension and stress in any job that i've had in the past you know it it was pretty pretty it was pretty much intense you know and then it's like now i started feeding the baby and another thing too is like, I mean, for the men, you guys cannot really 
do as much when it has to do with the baby, especially when it has to do with feeding. Because, of course, you can't breastfeed the baby, right? Unless you give the baby a bottle, you know. But it's like when I have to empty my boobs and give the baby, basically through sucking, it's just like you have to wake up at night multiple times. I mean, she's a relatively good baby, as you can see. I mean, we've been holding her here, and she, she hasn't cried or fidgeted in any way. You know, she doesn't cry when her diapers are wet. She doesn't cry for anything but when she's hungry or when she has gas. Talking about gas, that's another experience that we did not see coming. <laughs> like, she had a good three days straight, like, just crying at night, the entire night, because of gas in her uh, stomach. Like, we did everything we gave. Like, we, we were just miserable those three days. Because she had so much gas. I mean, it's better now because we have given her a couple of uh, medications and stuff like that. But I noticed that it also had to do with what I was eating. Because I think I had oatmeal and I had milk in it. And that was cow milk and not a plant-based milk. And that actually affected her. And when I stopped eating it, then that actually helped her as well. So that's another thing that um, breastfeeding moms should really take note of. You know, do your research. There are specific foods that, you know, can affect the baby. Some babies will react to it or some babies will not. But just be mindful of what you eat, especially when breastfeeding and what you drink as well, because that could literally go through your milk and affect the baby. So that's another thing that we noticed. But overall, I mean, just the reality of everything. Honestly, like if you have max three to four hours of sleep a day, then hallelujah. Like, Thank goodness for that. You know, um, it's it's very it's very challenging, I must say, honestly. It's very challenging. There's no two ways to it. I still forget to eat. I still forget to take my meds that you know I because you still have to be on meds like prenatals and iron. Personally I'm anemic, so I had to be on iron because I'm still bleeding. And bleeding too is another thing that you will experience after birth. You bleed for up to six weeks on an average. So that's another thing. And then of course you're still going through pain, you know? So, I mean, in addition to every other thing that I was going through, I was still bleeding. I was still going through the pain. The stitches were still healing and then I was having hemorrhoids, constipation. And then I, you know, you have to take, I, I mean, I, I counted the tablets. I was taking about 12 tablets of different things. I mean, there were supplements, most, most of them were supplements, but you know, those are the things I had to take to help my system. Especially, you know, my gut, because, you know, you could get really constipated and it's very painful after delivery, you know, and just everything else, you know, just trying to make sure that the baby is okay. I mean, it's like you just left a very painful pregnancy and then you just thrown into <laughs> into oh, yeah. this this roller coaster. So it, it was it was very, very stressful, especially when you don't have help. You know, if I could advise anyone, one thing I would say is, please get help before you have the baby. Like, have help in place. I mean, you know, I always say our parents' generation, they actually had it easier because, you know, back home in Africa, you had a lot of nannies or housekeepers, you know, that could help. And there was always more than, I mean, it's just both of us in this house. It's just two of us. You know, we get stressed out. We we get overwhelmed. Like I was saying the other time, you know, like we barely ever have arguments. But I remember that one time when we came back from the hospital, I don't even remember what we were arguing about, but you could really see the emotion 
and everything like we were just so emotionally overwhelmed we were so stressed out and i mean that's just a reality you know honestly a baby can break a marriage or a baby can mend a ma- not mend because if a marriage is on the edge <laughs> a baby will most likely break it than mend it but you know a baby can bring two people closer together than they were that's my opinion you know from my experience and so you know i always tell my my sisters who have not had kids yet when i say sisters i mean i have one blood sister what i call like a lot of my friends people that i'm close to you know i call them my sisters cuz i see, i look at them as sisters and i always tell them i'm like you know two things if you want to have a baby right make sure that you are ready you and your husband are ready in every aspect because babies are not cheap right and i just want to add there as well you know especially coming from an african background there are the pressures from our african communities which are real i think anyone who are lived in africa for some time could identify with that so in line with what anya said make sure you are prepared you are ready and you're not just having a baby because someone said you should or because you're having a lot of pressure take your time get mentally ready but of course make sure you're you're just realistic about your your timelines and your planning but but go on your own schedule yeah. because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you 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 feel like you should point fingers at someone or or not take that responsibility because once you do that it also gives you that that space to own everything that comes right because it was your decision and and so I think that it would be something I would add at that point. Yeah, and also um you know, that was the first thing I said, make sure that you're ready for sure. So don't I mean, aunties or uncles would be like, "Oh yeah, have the baby and give it to give the baby to me." Believe me, they will not take the baby. <laughs> You will be the one raising. First of all, you won't even have the heart to give your baby away for them to raise. You would want to raise your baby. And the second thing is make sure that your marriage is strong. That's just my opinion again. Make sure your marriage is strong. I mean, I have a newfound utmost respect for single mothers. I do not know how single mothers do it because what I experienced with my husband, not as a single mother, I don't even think I don't I can't even think about what I would have gone through if I was single and not have that help. You know, I know in our African communities especially the men tend to take that traditional role of the provider, right? But especially here in America, uh we all know that, you know, those roles are in a, like a lot of roles are shared. Like the men are not only providers cuz women too also have good jobs. They're equal providers as the men. So it's like, I mean, the man you will find a man is very normal for a man to do dishes or do laundry or you know like this some kind of division of labor at home because that's the only way this country is so stressful and i mean i don't really don't want to focus it only on in america but that should be the expectation worldwide in our community like the men and women should come together as a unit to help one another you know in different things so i mean despite the assistance and support that i was receiving from you you know we were so stressed out you know so i can only imagine the men that take that traditional role very seriously and just think that oh yeah is the woman to do everything at home and all i have to do is go to work and provide imagine what that woman would go through is she's no different from a single mother who has all those responsibilities on her shoulders you know so 
I just want to plead with the men to be more supportive, those who are not, to be more supportive, especially when, you know, the baby is there because we go through so much. Again, like I said, imagine my hormones are all over the place because I just had a drastic change. I took out a nine pounder out of me who was about to cry just about now. <laughs> so I took her out of me. My hormones are flying all over the place. I'm bleeding. I'm, I'm, I'm sore from stitches. I'm still having like belly aches. You know, I'm still having the abdominal pain. I'm trying to breastfeed, which is Oh my goodness, the most painful thing ever. I forgot about the breastfeeding aspect of this. Breastfeeding, I don't know why nobody told me how painful breastfeeding was. Breastfeeding is so painful. I don't even know how to explain how painful it is. You know, my nipples are sore. It's like I'm always screaming when the baby's latching. That's when she even latches well. You know, it's just, it's just a tiring experience. You know, and it's never ending. It's never ending. You're breastfeeding, you're in so much pain, and then you have to pump. They say you sleep when the baby is sleeping, but sometimes you find yourself being so busy doing one thing after the other that by the time you even want to close your eyes, the baby's awake. So, all of these things, you know, I mean, like I said, this is like a labor of love, but it's extremely, extremely challenging. And difficult, and I really wish that someone really told me the realities of it and what to expect, because it's not for the faint of heart, I must say. Um. Well, I just, I just have some thoughts on, on on how new parents could could behave, and and maybe people in the community to support them. I would say, typically after the baby comes, there is the joy of the baby coming. And of course, there is the, I don't want to say, there is the desire to to want to communicate or to share that great piece of news with family and friends. And I would just say, for for those parents out there, no rush, take your time. I think it's more important, or at least from my experience, it's more important that you, you recover, you get some sanity, you get some clarity than adding to that pressure and the stress you're already going through to try to to reach out to everyone. Of course, do it, but do it at your pace. Don't feel the pressure to want to do that just immediately. And for for the community out there, I would say show some grace to to parents because especially new parents. Especially new parents because as we mentioned or as I mentioned before, every birthing experience is totally different. And for those who have never had kids, uh it's hard to really understand, right? But yeah. but the advice here really is show some grace, give them some space and in due time they would surely reach out. But even if they don't, you could reach out as well, right? And so that would be the first thing. I would say at that point. Uh, the next thing is for 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 new parents, you know, if you've never had a a child before, I would say do the best you can to educate yourself on what to expect. It is true that that would never match the actual experience, but take upon yourself, seek out some trusted uh, people in your community, people that you are close to, and really just ask them to be honest with you, just to give you some honest thoughts, some honest feedback on what to expect. You know, as Anya mentioned, I think we would have, 
it would have been great or would have appreciated if we really had that um, honest feedback. Like, guys, this is going to be hard as opposed to, oh, you're going to figure it out. You know, everyone gets through it eventually. You know, you've, you've gone through tough things. So this one would just be, you know, something that you get through. So I, I think being realistic, being honest, at least from my experience, gives you a different mindset to to handle whatever you have, right? And also, I would say for the community, especially for new parents, as I mentioned before, you can do all the research you, you can, but that would never match the actual experience. So if you can, reach out to new couples and, and ask them if they have any questions about the experience, right? Because you don't want to be that intrusive person trying to to give a lot of advice that uh, wasn't asked for. But again, it's really just asking the question. I know you're going through this new journey. Uh, do you have any questions? Do you feel like there, there are things that you could be helped with and, and things like that, right? And also beyond the delivery of a child, I would say to the community, reach out to parents and, and ask them what you can do to help. Yes. You would be amazed what uh, two hours of sleep could do for a new parent or for parents for that matter. You know, I, I think I was having a discussion with 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 a cousin of mine and I, I, I mentioned to him, two hours of sleep is going to be more valuable than someone giving you even $500, right? And so um, please reach out, ask them what what you can do to help. It could be volunteering to babysit so they could sleep. It could be cooking some food and bringing over just so that they could have something to eat and not have to think about some of those things. And so I think that will go a long way to to helping them. I think personally, what we have learned from our experience, that's something that will definitely be be doing proactively going forward because we, we really do think that, and we really are strongly convicted about the fact that the birth of a child is something which has been happening for centuries. And there is a lot of great knowledge, great experiences that can be shared from generation to generation to make that process better and, and easier for a lot of people. Not everyone has to go through the same things that you went through. So if there is a way that you could make that journey easier for the next parent, then they're also going to pass it on. And we're going to build a strong community where we stand together and encourage one another. One thing I did discover in, in America, and I would say in the West, is there are a lot of support groups. There are a lot of resources that new parents can tap into and ask questions and people volunteer to make that experience for them much better. I think that I believe that we as an African community, there is a lot more that we can do to support our own, right? And so, as I mentioned, that is something that we're going to be thinking hard about, how we yeah. can give back in our own unique way. And, and hopefully through that experience, we would, we would give a practical lesson to another new couple who would then, you know, pay it forward. And, mm -hmm. and through that, we could, you know, bring about this awareness in the community, which I think would, would be very helpful, especially out here in the West, where you really don't have as much help as, as back in Africa. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Also, another thing is, you know, I mean, just to add for that, you know, because add to that, because that actually made me start to think about 
you know, ways that we can, we can go to support, you know, other women. And I definitely will be looking more into that. Another thing is like my husband said, you know, when he said, you know, do your research and stuff like that pertaining to the whole labor and delivery experience, even the pregnancy experience. Like I said, everybody has their own opinions, right? Everybody has something to put to like they have an input, right? So when you do that research and when you hear all this old wife's tales about labor, delivery, pregnancy, child, you know, like taking care of the child afterwards and everything that comes with it. The only thing that I can take from this experience is that trust your instincts, trust your own experience, you know, because imagine what if I was in so much pain? I mean, I've never been in labor pain before, so I didn't even know how intense it could get. Right. But mine started in a very intense way. So imagine if I was just waiting and ignoring all those signs and waiting for, you know, the signs 10 minutes apart, five minutes apart. I would have probably had that baby in this house, (laughs) you know. So if they say it starts with 10 minutes apart or five minutes apart and all of that, and you feel like yours is 30 minutes, 30 seconds to one minute apart. Go for it. Don't be scared to call the doctor because the worst case scenario is you go there and if you are not dilated, they're going to send you back home. It's better for you to be there and be sent home than to stay at home thinking that it's too early and then you end up having a baby or putting yourself and the baby in danger, you know. So at the end of the day, everybody, you know, even research that has been done has been based on a specific experience, a specific chronology of 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 events. So trust your own event, advocate for your own self and just trust your instincts at the end of the day because your instincts will never lie to you. If you're strongly convicted about, you know, a certain event or a certain circumstance, just know that, you know, your instincts will definitely should definitely guide you to make to to act on them, you know. So I don't even know if I'm making sense, but you know, just act on those instincts because the worst case scenario will definitely not hurt you when you act on your instincts than when you don't, right? So just trust your your circumstance, trust your experience and trust your instincts. I mean, my husband has already said everything that I wanted to say, you know, especially when it has to do with message to the community, and I just want to add one last thing especially with respect to that that, you know, we need to show more empathy to one another as a whole. You know, I always reinforce that. Sometimes I have to remind myself as well, you know, because we're human. Sometimes we tend to get insensitive, whether intentionally or not. But we always have to remind ourselves that we need to show empathy, especially to new parents, because and we should particularly show that empathy when giving opinions. Because... New parents are already so overwhelmed with so many things going on, so many opinions. And then it's like when you come across as being judgmental, especially with your opinion, it doesn't make things better, you know. And in as much as we have to help new parents, it's equally as important to check on their mental health. Just ask them, how are you doing? You know, and if you want to come visit a new parent, don't come and try to, you know, come with don't don't come and try to make them more tired, right? It's not story time. It's not, you know, getting them hyped up and all of that. Or even, you know, sometimes you just come very briefly and then you go, you don't want to 
overstay your visit because, I mean, they're working on a schedule. The baby is here. The baby has to, if the baby is awake, you know, if the baby is sleeping, they have to sleep. So, you know, we just have to be mindful of those little things that, you know, probably were the norm before they had the baby, right? But now things have changed. So let's just, in general, be considerate you know, of one another's circumstances and situations and just show empathy to one another. Things will be way different and way better if we do so. So that's my own last word. So that's about it. And we just wanted to share this experience with you guys. And I hope that, you know, it actually helps at least one person out there, one parent or one couple who's about to have a baby. I really hope that the conversation does not end here. I hope that we can take this topic and talk about them to, you know, our circles and to the rest of the community. Like it's my ultimate goal and hope that we really normalize these very tough topics, you know, in our community and challenge the status quo, challenge the cultural and social ideologies that affect the well-being of Africans, of our people. So I really hope that this episode was resourceful. And I just want to thank you guys for giving us the opportunity to share our story and our experiences with you guys. So I will catch you on the next episode. And thank you for being here. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.